0: So good to see you. We had a great uh, weekend workshop. We were focusing on prayer. Many of you were there. Thanks for coming. Our next weekend workshop will be mid-May. We're going to focus on developing a biblical worldview. It'll be real important. Hope you can make it. We are in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. If you're visiting, we're beginning our journey through the Bible. It's going to take a while, but uh, we are in the book of beginning. And today we're going to Hear about the formation of nations ever since the formation of nations there's been nothing but wars friction strife it was true then it is true today our, our most current iteration of that i guess is russians against ukrainians and other places although we're in a unique era we're living in an era where even canadians can't get along with one another I mean, I grew up in Michigan, and the thing about Canadians is they were always so kind and nice. Now, today, not even Canadians gonna can get along. <laughs> why is it? Why is it the case that, that rather than celebrating the beauty and the diversity amongst the people groups around the world, we tend to contend against it? Why is it the case that we find it so hard? to love our neighbor when our neighbor is not like us. Why is that? What we learn from Genesis 10 and 11 is this really important truth. And, and here it is. God has established his kingdom through Christ. He invites us to enter in and make his name famous throughout the world. As the nations rose up around the world, and then as history will show us nations rise and nations fall there's always going to be a difference between those people who live and build empires to make their name great and those who live in order to establish a kingdom to make the lord's name great my question is whose kingdom will we be a part of now as we as we close out the first major section in genesis so genesis 1 through 11 is this first major section of the beginning. We've already recorded in Genesis 5, where Moses writes the genealogy from Adam through Noah to his son, Shem. Ten generations that bring us from Adam to Noah's family. And now we're going to pick up there, and we're going to go from Shem all the way to a man named Abram. We've got to do some genealogy work in between, and so if this is after the great flood, and Noah's family now is being dispersed throughout the known world, and what we have recorded is is sort of like a family tree of Noah. Remember, Noah and his family come off the ark. God renews his covenant uh, that he had made with Adam and Eve. He tells Noah, "I need for you to be." the priest king, over my creation and flood the world with people. Just as it had done before, I had to judge it with the flood. Now, unfortunately, as Noah's family began to flood the earth with worshipers, they stopped worshiping God. And that is just the result of sin nature. Remember, at one point in time, everyone on earth knew the Lord, and worshipped But it wasn't soon after that that things changed dramatically. Through Noah's sons, the nations began to form and spread out to the world. And what we have in Genesis 10 is what we call the table of nations. So Noah's family tree divided into the genealogies of his three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We'll start with Japheth, the youngest, then go to Ham, and then go to Shem, who is the one who carries the seed of the covenant. But now, I know how you read the Bible. When you get to a list of names like Genesis 10, you tend to go, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and you flip the page. I get it. Because you can't pronounce the names, you don't have a clue who these guys are. All right, but we're going to just slow down just for a little bit because I want to show you some significant threads and some significant themes that are connected to the genealogy. Also something that's very important. There is nowhere, nowhere in the annals of ancient history, a genealogy and a geography as clear-cut as found in Genesis 10. There is no other world religion that can trace its genealogy back To creation itself the bible is true history the bible traces jesus christ all the way back to adam every father grandfather the lineage is clear the bible is not mythology the bible is real history and so don't get bored by this the connections are vital Chapter 10, verse 1, these are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, let me recall to you what happened just before chapter 10. Noah and his family were off the ark. God had renewed the covenant with them, gave him the rainbow. Noah's out in the field. He, unfortunately, in his garden, fails like Adam fails. He gets drunk, is sleeping in the tent naked. Ham comes upon him, doesn't honor his dad. Noah wakes up and curses one of his sons, and so here's the promise from Genesis nine twenty seven of Noah's three sons: Let God extend Japheth; let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem; let Canaan be Shem's slave. So, so um, Ham's son Canaan is cursed because of his dad, and we're going to see this represented now in the table of nations. First. The tribes from Japheth, who is the friend of Shem. Japheth's sons are Gomer, Magog. Those are, should be familiar names. Book of Ezekiel, uh, to you, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Mesheth, and Tyrus. Gomer's sons are Ashkenaz. You know, I find it, you know, unfortunate that you're not naming your children uh, according to these biblical names. I mean, I searched the nursery rolls this week and I found no Ashkenaz. So I'm, I'm rebuking you right now. I, I want us to correct this. We need a Rizpoth downstairs. We need a Torgama down there. Javen's sons, Elisha, Tarshish, Katim, and Donanim. Now, what's important is the list. From these descendants, verse five, the peoples of the coast and islands spread throughout their lands according to their clans in their nations, each with his own language. So note what's happened. God is now fulfilling the first great commission to fill the earth with people who would know him and worship him. Now, unfortunately, right, that doesn't last long. But God is fulfilling the great command by the dispersion of peoples, and there's something about our divine God, that wants different types of peoples everywhere in the world. It is God's desire for them. He wants them according to their clan, according to their cultures, according to their language. This is God's good design. And, and we see that in the table of nations. Now, verse six, <laughs> Japheth's sons, basically, they spread far and wide. They go all the way to the beginning parts of Europe. They go all the way northeast into what is now Russia. They extend all the way to East Asia. And they are spreading out. Now, the tribes who come from Ham, specifically from his son Canaan, are the ones who bore the curse. And yet, as we will see, the sons of Ham become the strongest and mightiest peoples on earth then and day Ham's son, Cush, Mizraim Put, and here's the son, Canaan. Now, the lineage of Canaan will be that people that will contend against God's people for a very, very long time. Cush's sons, Seba and Havilah and Sabta and Rama and Septica and Rama's sons, Arsheba and Dadan. Now, verse eight, this is really important. Cush became the father of a man named Nimrod. I know what you're laughing about. If you're like me growing up, if you wanted to tease somebody, you called him a Nimrod. Especially if you you want to say you're dumb, you say you're a Nimrod. But, But actually, that's not biblical. Nimrod was one of the smartest, most intelligent, most powerful people who have ever walked the face of the earth. So much so that Moses makes note of him and writes a proverb about him. Nimrod, who began to be powerful in the land, he was a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord so that his nickname, anybody who was powerful and an incredible hunter, you would name him a Nimrod. I know that sounds silly today, but that's what they would do. Like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. Now look at the kingdom that came from this powerful man named Nimrod, starting with Babylon, verse 10, Eric, Akkad, and Halna, which is in the land of Shinar. Please make note of the land of Shinar. It's going to become very important in a few minutes. Now, from that land... Uh Nimrod began to build empires as far as Assyria when he built the city of Nineveh. Nineveh would become the capital of the Assyrian empire it would ultimately crush the Babylonian empire to which again the people of God would contend against. All of this plays into God's overarching plan for the redemption of his people. All right? So we've got now the the Canaanites and the Kingdoms that come from the clans of Ham who bore the curse. Again, remember, the most powerful kingdoms and (laughs) empires, But these would be the ones that would contend against the most lowly of nations. The most humble of nations. That would come from the line of Shem. Like a mustard seed. That would eventually grow up and become the great, powerful, and everlasting kingdom of God. And we get that list beginning in verse 21. When the table of nations turns now to the son, Shem, the elder brother, the one who bore the seed of the covenant. He also had sons. He was the father of all the sons of Abar. Shem's sons were Elam, and Ashur, and Arpashad, and Lud, and Aram. Uh, Aram's sons were Uz, that should be a familiar name, an area, Hul, Gather and Mash. And in verse 24, it says, Arpashad fathered Shalah, Shalah fathered Eber, Eber had two sons. Now that can you can, and some would consider this, you can translate it, In the old Hebrew, Heber or Hebrew, which is where we get the nation of the Hebrews. So the Hebrews, which ultimately will produce Abram or Abraham. Abraham was a Hebrew. The Hebrew people now are coming from the line of Shem, one of Heber's sons with Peleg. That name will be important at the end of chapter 11. But the rest of Shem's sons, verse 31, by their clans, according to their languages, in their lands and their nations. So again, God is dispersing now Japheth, kind of stretching him to the utter parts of the world. Ham, uh, the area of the of Canaan land, Middle East and North Africa. Shem becomes the Semitic people. Again, Middle Eastern people and, and, and God is, is dispersing them, clans, tribes, languages, cultures. Verse 32 of chapter 10. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their family records in their nations. The nations on the earth spread out from these after the flood, doing exactly what God desired for them to do, fill the earth, subdue it, and multiply. Why is that important? Well, it's important because we have our history. It's important because we have our lineage. And it is vitally important because we all belong to the same family. We're all from Noah. We're all from Adam. There is but one human race. We are biologically connected together, all of us. There is a great Unity within humanity, we are all the people who bear the image of God. And it was God's good and glorious design to differentiate us into cultures and languages and people groups and skin colors and musical taste and food taste. And we all think our particular clan is the best. And sometimes we think our particular people group ought to be treated the best. And then history will then begin to show us because of sin, this thing called racism appears, where now there's this thought where certain people groups should be subservient. They are lesser than other people groups. And the separation of people. Then becomes not something that brings God glory, but becomes the result of sinful oppression and hatred and war. This, this is the month that we honor the history of African Americans and we celebrate the difficult journey from, from slavery to their pursuit of, of liberty. And within that, it's so unfortunate that we miss in our history that all people are made with God's image. All are equal in the eyes. God's people, we must learn how to celebrate our diversity and demand our unity. But unfortunately, because of sin, that will not be the case until the end of all things. But now, again, I said this before, I want to make sure that you have this clear. We can put all of humanity into one group. We all come from Adam. But with the coming of Christ is the separation of two races. Right now, there are two races of people. Those who are in Adam, those who are in Christ. And that is it. Take everybody on earth and you put them into these two races. Those who are in Adam are born with a sin nature and their sin is still attached to them. Those who are in Christ are a new people. We're new creations. Our sin has been redeemed and removed. Here, the curse remains. The curse of sin remains. Here, redemption because of the shed blood of Jesus and the grace of God. There are two people. Now, you know I'm an Italian-American and I enjoy my heritage. I enjoy my people. I enjoy our culture. I enjoy our food. But I have some Italian-Americans in my immediate family that are not in the race of Jesus Christ. And I pray for their salvation. And now I want you to hear me clearly. I am closer to you than I am my own immediate family that are not born again believers. If you are in Christ, we are one body. We are one family. You are my brothers and you are my sister. There's a reason why I treat you that way. There's a reason why I greet you the way I do and hug on you the way I do and love on you the way I do, and pray for you the way I do, and desire to serve you the way I do, because you are my family. And I am glad that, that my family consists of people who are, are brown and black and yellow and different traditions and cultures and languages. Do you know how pleased I was today that we baptized an Anglo-American uh, uh, woman, a French, a young man, a French-African, a... Korean American, you just witnessed this. Isn't it wonderful that we can celebrate our diversity knowing that we are one in Christ? And those who are in Christ then become the people of God that he has so desired to have and sent his son to redeem. The rest of the world suffers from the result of sin now. I want to take you to chapter 11 and 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 I want for you to think with me as to actually what happened that caused these nations to be divided. So chapter 11 actually is going to take us back just a little bit before all of these nations disperse. Okay, so just go back in time and think with me, Noah and his sons. They are off the ark and they begin to have children and their children began to have children. But they're all at one point in time, one tribe. And the tribe is all migrating east from Mount Ararat. They're migrating east to a place called Shinar. And that would be basically where the Garden of Eden was. So they're migrating back towards the Garden of Eden, but they are not doing what God had commanded. Which is spread out everywhere and fill the earth and subdue it. So, so chapter eleven uh gives us this, this super interesting story of how God had to intervene in order to fulfill his command to subdue the earth. Now now, from one perspective, I would say that when we look at the story of Babel, the construction of the great city and the great tower. From one perspective, you might say, man, what a great story about human ingenuity and human achievement and human cooperation. And look how all the people came together and, and, and they, they built this great city. Maybe we should celebrate. that. That's one perspective. From God's perspective, this is a story of pride and arrogance and selfish autonomy. This is a story of rebellion against God where the arrogance, and I would say the shallowness of humanity, is on full display. Now, let me give you an interpretive clue. Whenever you read in the Bible of people who are not obeying God, or they are acting out on their sin nature, I don't want you to go, oh, look how bad they are. I'm glad I'm not like them. I would rather you go, how am I like that? I I want you to ask yourself, how am I like the early Babylonians? How am I like that? In what way do I want to build my own kingdom on this? earth, Even to the neglect of my God. So, um, let me dig into this story. And it will begin to make sense. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. And as people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and they settled there. So again, that would be where Nimrod began to establish his first great kingdom. And it would be just sort of in the same area where at the very beginning, Eden would have been. Everybody together. Everybody's speaking one language, one culture. And they said to each other, come, and they're going to use that several times. They're going to say, come, let's all gather together and do something. All right. Come, let's make oven fired bricks because they use brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city along with a tower with its top in the sky, or your Bible translation may say, its tower reaching to heaven, because there's a sense in the Old Testament where the sky is the first heaven, and then the sun, moon, and stars are the second heaven, and then where God's throne room is, is the third heaven, And but so they're going to at least try to get up to the first one. <coughs> Let's get up to the sky. And, and then they said this, and he, here is the tragedy. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. So so Moses begins by noting the similarities of all these people and then then he he notes their architectural ability, right? Okay, good. These early Mesopotamians are able to make bricks, right? And they've learned you make bricks, you can build buildings. And so they make themselves a whole city with this impressive tower, That they thought would reach up to the heavens. Now, in this, they reveal their rebellious motive. First, the prideful claim. Let us make a name for ourselves. The prideful claim. Let us make a name for ourselves. Second, the rebellion, the rebellious activity. Let's come together. And not disperse. Let's not disperse. Let's come together. Prideful claim, a rebellious act. They were acting like Cain. Cain sinned, murdered his brother. God cursed him. He went out, made a name for himself, built a city. He never calls upon the name of the Lord. One of the themes you're going to see as we continue to study the Old Testament. Take note. Those who stop and call upon the name of the Lord. Take note of this. They call upon not their name. They call upon the name of the Lord. These people say, let's make bricks. Let's build ourselves a cities. Let's make a name for ourselves, not calling upon the name of the Lord, calling upon their own name. They fall into the same trap of Adam and Eve. Why do I need God? Let me eat the fruit. I'll be like him. Why do I need to call upon the name of the Lord? Look, we've got bricks. We can take sand and make bricks. We can build a tower that will get us as high as God is. Let's call upon our own name. They wanted to claim the same authority and power and glory as God. They desired a one world government. They wanted to rule themselves. So you know what we have here? We have the present-day United States of America. We have the foreshadowing of secularism. Establishing a a nation that does not need God. Establishing a people that they would live apart from a sovereign creator. One of the things that you're going to learn as you study God's word is that anytime that there has been a kingdom or an empire that has been built, anytime, whether it be Babel or Babylon, Egypt or Rome, Facebook or Amazon, anytime an empire is built, it's always to make a person's name great. And people just seem to fall in line in order to prove that. If you're a born-again Christian, I want you to know. By confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are also confessing, I will not live to make my name. I will now and forever live to make the name of Jesus, the name above all names. That is our mission. Your mission is to make Christ famous. Not yours, but His. Well, let's look at the story. Now, here's what's fascinating. So, the story, it builds up. Let's come together. Build bricks. Let's make our name great. Then we will be like God. <laughs> it, 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 they don't even get to the clouds. And, and, and that's the ascent of the story. And then Moses, he writes in, in sort of ironically, then God has to come all the way from heaven down. He's got to come all the way down to meet them and go, okay, let me, you're not going to make it. Let me come down and meet you. And then God will in reverse say, okay, let me come and fix this. These arrogant people. Let me come change their language. Let me come so they don't continue on in sin so so that I won't have to destroy them again because I commanded I wouldn't destroy them again. Let me come so that they will do exactly what I intended them to do. And that's spread out, create beauty and diversity in my world. Let me come. And we see that in uh, verse five. The Lord came down. They, they didn't make it to his throne. The Lord comes all the way down from heaven. And he looks over the city and the tower that the humans were building. I, I think he chuckled myself. <laughs> I mean, at some point in time, we know that, that he said, okay, look, I made these people. They, they bear my image. They're intelligent. They're smart. They can work together. They're powerful, but oh my, are they prideful. Oh my, are they arrogant. They baked bricks. They didn't thank me for giving them the stuff to make it, the bricks from. They they started stacking bricks. They didn't thank me for giving them the intelligence to do that. They, they, They think this technology is something they invented. So many today have made technology their idol and their God. You no know, technology comes from a creator. They don't give me the glory for their gifts and their abilities. They they praise themselves. They, they, they're baking bricks that within just weeks or months will, will turn back into dust, just like their bodies will turn into dust as soon as they die. Don't they recognize that I am the Lord? I am the rock. That will never be dis- diminished, and that cannot be destroyed. They simply didn't recognize. As the book of Proverbs will, will teach us later. That it is the name of the Lord that is a strong God. Not whatever you build with your hands or with your money, it is the name of the Lord that is your strong. And that name is the one that the righteous run to so that they will not be afraid. When the righteous run to it, they will be protected. So God looks at the city. He looks at the tower. He, he says, okay, this is nothing but a puny construction work built by pint-sized creatures. It would it, would be, it would be like, in my mind, it's like when my kids were little and, and we, we they had all these Legos. And then they they would take like a a bottom Lego piece, like a green square, and they would just work on it, work on it, sometimes for hours and hours. And they would make like a city. And and then they put little figures in it, right? And it was cool. And then they would say, look what I did, you know? I like this wonderful. You're creative. You're intelligent. A puny little construction made by a pint-sized person. is That's what God thought. to creation how does anything that you do equate to the universe and yet we so often think we're equal to God we act as if God doesn't matter that is the we are we are babbled today we are babbled and if your eyes open you will see it everywhere We don't need God. We don't need his truth. We don't need his faith. It's everything. So God, though, made a commitment. I will not destroy all of humanity again. So God brilliantly devises a plan to disperse the people in order to keep them from judgment.
1: Speaking of technology.
0: God, God says, I am not going to allow people to go back to where they were in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, because they were all together. And at some point, the evil just fed off one another, and they got to the point where they could do nothing but think and do evil. God says, I'm not going to allow that again. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. Let's Let's read. The Lord comes down, looks over the city and the tower the humans were building, and the Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, having all the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon. For there the Lord confused their language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. And, and, and so it is the will of God then that supersedes the totality of the will and the might of all of humanity. And in a moment, God just simply changes their languages, fused, and now they have no uh, ability to communicate and then god then sovereignly disperses them according to his intent and desire and, and to this day the whole world is flooded with people beautiful people all kinds of cultures and language. i've been to so many different countries and every time after about day two i think man it would be great if i could speak this language because i can't communicate and, and I, I always come equipped with four words: hello, goodbye, thank you, where's the bathroom. I always come equipped with those four words, and, and typically at, at, I get by with that. But so often I'm like, oh, if I could only, if I could only speak, if I could only communicate. And I'm reminded of this. Now, listen. You may think, man, the judgment of God. No, this was the mercy of God. This was the grace of God is saving humanity by dividing people into all these. So now you go back to chapter 10 and you see, and they all spread out. They all spread out. And, and by doing so, giving them distinction and culture and language, this is something that we should celebrate. It's never something we should hate. It's something we should celebrate. Never something that we should hate. And yet, how hard it is, is it for you to love someone who's not like you? How hard is it to fulfill the most basic of commands to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, God had an answer to that also, and this takes us to the end of chapter 11. Chapter 11 basically ends now with Moses giving more detail to Shem's descendants through Peleg. And now see what he's going to do. It's beautiful because Um, In Genesis 10, we have this this list of genealogies. So we we were having the 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And then Moses records 70 generations from Noah's sons. All of this is thematic in the Bible, right? The Bible is a unity. 10 means completion. Whenever there's this list of 10, there's a sense of this is the complete number. Seven times ten. This is the complete number of generations from Noah. <laughs> later, we'll see uh, Jacob or Israel. He has 70 in his family that will go into Egypt as a part of God's plan. Much, much later, Jesus will appoint 70 disciples to go out and begin to proclaim his kingdom, go out into the earth and proclaim his kingdom. We see this unity throughout the Bible. Now, again, Ten generations are showing completion from Adam to Noah. Ten more generations from Noah to Abram. And what's also interesting to me is how short their lives become. So like, they were living six, seven, 800 years, 900 years, and then they go from like that to 800 to 700 to 600 to 500 400, all the way down to like the 200s. Right? I know you wish. I wish I could live 200 years old. I don't know. I don't. You know, maybe get to 90, have a cake blow out the candles, fall into it and die, go to heaven. I mean, something like that. But but life is getting shorter and shorter. And, and yet, what the history of the Bible shows us is this Satan taking his seed, offspring, and trying to establish kingdoms that oppose him. But now Moses is going to record the one small mustard seed through the lineage of what will be one man, Abram, who will begin to establish by way of God's covenant, the great kingdom. And and he records that. These are the family records of Shem, chapter 11, verse 10. And then when you get all the way down to Terah, who now is the father of Abraham, verse 26, Terah lived 70 years and fathered Abram. And then these are the family records of Terah. You've got Abram and Nahor and Haran. And then you got Haran, Abram's brother, who gives birth to a man named Lot. And these are important figures in the next several chapters. And then Terah and then Abram Lot, they both marry. And Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and, and uh, his son Abram's wife. Uh, and they, they set out from Ur, one of those areas that that Nimrod had established of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. There it is. And when they got there, Terah spent the last few remaining years of his life. And, and, And what's going to happen now is everything is going to slow way down. We're not going to be talking about centuries anymore. We're going to be talking about years now. Every year will be important. And, and and we're going to see from the humble stature of Abram, the covenant and the kingdom of God, and we're going to see that, that 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 kingdom so small, so looked down upon, A- at one point in time enslaved for four centuries. We're going to see it grow and grow and struggle and persevere and endure until Jesus comes. But there will always be. Empires established and kingdoms established against God's kingdom. Whether it be Babel or Babylon. Or, or as Daniel would later see, these empires, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Kingdoms will come. Kingdoms will go. And they will try to destroy the kingdom of God, but they will fail until the very end. In the book of Revelation, chapter 18 where John is envisioning the one last great empire that will rise up against God and his people and persecute God and his people. And it will be empowered by Satan through Antichrist. And John calls this last empire Babylon the Great. And it will crush itself because of its own depravity. And then the King of kings and Lord of lords will return and establish his forever kingdom. You see, when Jesus came, he said, my kingdom is at hand. Then he began to invite people from all different walks of life, cultures, languages, nationalities to join him. He sent his disciples out to tell the good news about his kingdom. And then he died, was buried, rose again, ascended to heaven. Soon later, the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Unconfuses the languages. On the day of Pentecost... The Spirit of God falls down upon people from all different language groups, and they all can hear the gospel. They're not confused, and they believe. And God's original intention to have people from all tribes and walks of life to worship him began to be established. And this is why we spend so much time, money, and energy in sending Church planners and missionaries all over the world, because that's God's great desire to make his name great everywhere, to unconfuse the languages, that they would all receive the gospel in their tongue, that they would hear it and believe it. And we'll, conti- we'll continue to do this
1: until that, that day. Apostle John, he he caught this image. Remember this? Around the throne room of heaven,
0: where Jesus grabs the scroll, he says, I'm worthy to take it. And people from all walks of life and all languages and all tribes, they begin to fall on their face and they worship him. King Jesus, who purchased for himself and by his blood, people from every tribe and language and nation. Making all of us a kingdom of priests to God so that we might reign with Him forever.
1: You see, in heaven,
0: we're just going to be us glorified. There's going to be all kinds of colors, all kinds of skin colors, all kinds of personalities, all kinds of cultures. There's not going to be no sin. And at that point in time, again, John, he saw it. He said, and I looked. and He he now is looking into heaven. And there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, which no one could number. That many people. And they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were all clothed in, in salvation, clothed in the white robes with palm branches in their hands, And they all cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the
1: Lamb. You have a choice. Build your own city.
0: Depending how smart and intelligent and how much you can manipulate and influence others, you might build a big city. Build your own empire. You have a choice.
1: Or confess your faith to Jesus Christ. Instead of building a city, build an altar. You offer your life as a sacrifice there. While the enemies of God build cities, the people of God build altars. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. We so
0: often fail the greatest of commands to love our neighbor because we fail to love those that are not like us. Yet we're reminded of the unity that we have and we're reminded that, that we exist to love those, even if they are unlovely, too. To, to love those who we may not normally love because of our faith in Christ and because of our desire to see his gospel established everywhere. Father, help us to do so. May our lives be committed and dedicated to the building of Christ's kingdom, not our own little puny kingdoms. Father,
1: help us not to make our name great,
0: to make the name of Jesus great. We pray this in his name. Amen.